right, so welcome everyone to our second session of Art of Practice. My name is Lisa Frost, and with me we have Kevin. You want to say hello? Hi, everyone. Good to have <laughs> you here. Good to see you. Good to be here. Excited for this one. Awesome. Yep. So this is Kevin Snorp. We also have Kent Frazier, who is with us um, from Fully Human at Work. And many of you may also remember Kent from our live practices. Kent was the Enneagram 7 practice leader um, and has been a great addition to our practice, uh, our, our practice leader, whatever we have Community. group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So uh, Kent, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. I've known Mr. Snorf for a, a, about a decade or so and honored to continue to be in conversation with you, Kevin. And Lisa, it's been great getting to know you this past couple of years in our work together. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So we are uh, all about the art of practice here on this podcast. And um, one of the things that we have been discussing, Kevin and I have been discussing is um, just how practice fits into one's life and how to think about practice. Um, and of course, talking a bit about the integral life practice. Um, but the reason why I thought that it would be really great to have you on, on this show is because uh, you have a particular take on practice and a particular focus on how you have taken practice into the world. And, um, and so for those of you out there, uh, Kent has a program called uh, Fully Human at Work. Um, and Kent, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about that and also kind of what led you into that, that particular area. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Um, so just a little context, uh, I've spent my career 30-ish years uh, leading the people practices for for-profit for organizations, large corporations. So HR um, with a focus really on the human development part of HR, leadership development, organizational development, how does culture emerge? How do we think about designing organizations? <clears throat> less so much on the incentive structures or benefit side, but really like the human dimension. How do people come together and, and fulfill upon what they're asked to fulfill upon in their careers? And hopefully it's something that enlivens them as well. So I spent 30 years and deep in the conversation of um, the choices we make for our work, how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of the people we love. And what I found over that 30 year period is that many people self-included didn't have a really healthy way of relating to work. And work happens to be for many of us, the part of our lives that gets the lion's share of our attention, our energy, our effort, our actions, our thoughts. And so for many people that I encountered having an unhealthy way of relating to this part of their lives, <clears throat> excuse me, that that's really the central thrust of their waking hours to have that not be healthy. What's the impact of that on their, on our sense of self in our most important relationships? And, and, you know, I found time and time again, that uh, when work isn't working for me and or for other people, it's hard for the rest of your life to be working. Many people's sense of self is 
is attached deeply to what I do, how much money I make, et cetera. And when that comes into compromise in some way, so does our identity, so does our sense of self, and therefore so do our most important relationships. So um, fully human at work has come to be an expression for me is like, how do we continue to develop ourselves more fully so that our lives work for ourselves? We can be who we most wanna be in the world and bring that person into our most important loving relationships and bring that person into a vocation that hopefully breathes life into us, into that whole constellation of people that matter rather than us hating getting up what we do every day. So um, I'll pause there uh, and, and see what, what wants to come up from either of you. So thanks for the opening question. Yeah, I, it feels to me like uh, given um, what we're reading about in terms of the great resignation and quietly quitting and all of these pretty major topics that are happening that we've we've had kind of a crisis of of um, of meaning and a crisis of of unhappiness um, when it comes to this area that you that you talked about that's that's you know where we spend most of our waking hours and so it feels very much, um, very much on point. Um, if I may, you mentioned the word crisis. <clears throat> it's an important naming and an accurate naming of what gave rise to this expression for me. And that crisis for me showed up as suicidal depression because I couldn't make sense of how I was going to go be um, viable in a system that I no longer really subscribe to. I, I was the head of HR at for-profit organizations that traditionally use people as fuel to drive a profit motive for a very few number of shareholders. And, and holding that position for almost 30 years made me sick. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't stand for that anymore. And so that crisis where, where I was, I came face to face with, I can no longer be the person who I thought I had to be in order to make a living and take care of myself and take care of my kids. Oh, fuck. Now, now who am I going to be? What am I going to do? And, and that to be or not to be question, I was lingering painfully in that for years. Wow. And, and so uh, when someone reflected, oh, Kent, you know, the work that we've done over those 30 years was some expression of uh, giving permission to be fully human at work. <laughs> to not always have to be perfect, to not always have to know, to not always have to be right, to not always have to win. Um, and that, that from that crisis of, gosh, I couldn't accept my failures. I couldn't accept all my shortcomings. Well, guess what, dude, you're fully human. Everyone has all those. <laughs> yeah. So if we, add yeah, to that, that, please. I want to add to that please. too, because a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of my work has been, men's coaching, men's work, purpose coaching, a lot of times where people are coming to me and going, how can I make money and feel like I'm actually doing things that are good for people and the planet also? And, you know, as a coach, I have to say, well, I, I don't have the answer. <laughs> you know, like that, That's on you, bucko, you know, like that. That's the work of that's the work of of, of self-discovery and, and who you're about and what you're about. Um, and and the flip side of that is 
noticing a trending pattern that client after client after client after conversation with a friend after conversation with a friend is constantly just feeling deeply unfulfilled around how they show up at work, around how they're treated at work, around how the culture and relationships are at work. And it's like, if I was in relationship coaching right now, <laughs> I'd be talking about um, how do you make an off-ramp here <laughs> from a toxic relationship? And so, and and it's it's been a building thing, right? It's not, this isn't, it just didn't, I think it got, I think it hit a breaking point with COVID for sure. And it hit a culmination point, but, um, but to, but to your credit, Kent, and to, and to the, and to the power of, of the kind of work you're trying to do and having people revisit the, their relationship to, and their understanding of work in themselves and how they actually show up and work as a practice. You know, I think it's increasingly something that a lot of people are having to take a look at. And so many people are trying to look at it through the lens of um, how do I fix the external versus how do I work with the internal and how do I work inside of being an influencer and a leader uh, culturally inside my organizations on the interior quadrants. Beauty, good riff. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't want to hog the mic either. I always, I always love Lisa and her perspective on, on these things. So I feel like I just talked a bunch. And so Lisa, what's, what's coming up for you in this context? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, that you, you went into your own story and, and I've heard you tell that story before and, and it's a, it's an intense one. And I would imagine that there's a lot of people out there that feel very much like that, um, this crisis, this crisis of meaning and of being treated like a commodity. Um, and, and yeah, it's been going on for a really long time. And I think that, you know, in terms of what you were talking about, Kevin, uh, it, 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 you know, yeah, a breaking point came with COVID, but I think what happened is that, you know, and this has been talked about, but I think what happened is that people suddenly said, oh my gosh, <laughs> like life is precious things could happen quite suddenly and what am I doing here and it I think it served as sort of a, a wake-up call for a lot of people and 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 made them look look at that lens a little bit differently it's like you know I think that and some of the people that I've I've spoken with have been asking questions like you know, what would it look like if I was actually making money doing something that felt important and like I was contributing in a bigger way? What would it look like to actually be, to actually feel like I'm respected in the, you know, in the environment in which I, which I find myself? What would it look like if I was, you know, potentially, um, doing something radically different with my life and, and actually had the courage to take the, take the plunge and to, and to take the risk. Um, and I think that, <clears throat> I think that more and more people have been asking those important questions. And, you know, I think that now that we're sort of hitting this sort of new normal-ish thing around Yakov is just around and now we're dealing with our lives. Some of that has died down, like there was an intensity and a fervor um, around it, but but I, the problem hasn't gone away. Um, and I think that uh and I think that some of what is happening around how corporations are answering the call to more and more people wanting to work from home, 
um, and more and more people asking for different kinds of working situations that actually support their lives better. Like this is reshaping the yeah. way that we work at least here in America, um, it's reshaping the way that we, that we, you know, that the way, the way that workers are actually demanding from employers, how work needs to look in order for people to feel supported. And so, yeah, I'm curious, actually, Kent, um, you know, you've been, you've been doing the support for people who probably have, you've probably heard a lot of these stories in terms of how they're wrestling with some of these, some of these issues. And, and you've seen, how some corporations are answering the call of that, but what are you, what's your perspective on on some of that? Kev, did you have something you wanted to chime in with beforehand? Oh, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Um, I, I can add one thing, yeah, but um, just, it, it's really just highlighting what Lisa was just saying too, is like, we've known for 60 years, thanks to Green, the problems with, workplace culture, um, not honoring diversity inside of workplace culture, not like treating people like cogs in a wheel, the machinations, the, the criticisms of that stuff have been around for a long time, thanks to green and, um, but not always the solutions. And I think, I feel like, you know, this is one of those areas where, uh, the solutions are tricky and also like easier than, than it seems too, in the sense of, being willing to do the work. And so I think one of the things that's kind of unique about what you've done with Fully Human at Work is not just continuing to talk about the problems, but really trying to take an empowered perspective that really is, is honestly um, very well uh, geared from second tier to say, like, let's not get wrapped in the, in the drama of all this, but how do we actually take more responsibility and become leaders inside of what's happening? I don't see the culture I want here. How can I create it? I don't feel like I'm being treated in the way that I want to. What kind of conversation does that mean I need to then have to better uh, show up with a sense of empowered responsibility to, to be a shifter? Like leaders have to lead. This is a great opportunity for leadership. Yeah, gosh, I, I'm just noticing as, as Lisa was was riffing and posed her question and you are too. It's like, there's so many different directions we can take the conversation. <laughs> um, so, so what wants to be said? And, and that's like what, what I'm practicing, right? So we, we're talking about this, uh, this art of practice. So right now I'm having an experience, like I, I'm not sure what I'm gonna say. Cause I'm not coming from some place that I have to be right or I have to know. And, and so a lot of the work we do in organizations is working with leaders in particular that are in very fast paced, very complex, ambiguous, uh, you know, VUCA context, right? And, and who do we become when we're meeting VUCA? In, with intensity and, and uh, power that we've never faced before. And for those who may not know, VUCA uh, is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, basically the uh, recipe for a metacrisis. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, listening to, you know, I'm sure many of the folks who might be 
tuning in here also know who Daniel Schmachtenberg is and in conversations that he and some of his colleagues have had um, around this meta crisis and, and the confluence of existential risks we're all navigating right now. So part of what is, is inherent in this fully human at work expression is a really deep inquiry of who do we have to become to actually make our way through this meta crisis. In a way, you know, we're looking at right livelihood for and the choices individuals make and how they go about taking care of themselves and the people and understanding the the the, the wake of, of the choices they make. And so one of the larger meta crisis questions that we're holding in this inquiry is what's, and you were pointing to this earlier, Lisa, is like, what's a new way or what are new ways that the world needs to work? What are new systems of human cooperation and incentive structures that aren't coupled with the debasing of the living systems of the planet, which all of our current ways of working and our financial systems are all complicit in the unraveling of the living systems of the planet. And so as Daniel Schmachtenberg speaks to quite eloquently, you know, we, we got to thread the needle here. We got to find a way through and, and that's going to invite us and require us to all be sitting in this not knowing place for a while. And so how do we lead and, and take ourselves and the people we care about and how do we steward this human condition through radical transformative times that we're in with the meta crisis? It's a precarious time. And so this is really, this is why we hold the, the question as an evolutionary imperative. And to ground that too, in the more personal side of it, because it is big, um, and there's also a feeling, and 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 I have the privilege of working with you and Lisa <laughs> on the battlefield, let's say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in, in the trenches, um, to to capture the personal side of it. There's a there's a way in which, as I start looking at that personally and my own relationship to how I understand work. And as soon as I say the word work, what are all the connotations that come up for me? I get butterflies in my stomach and I wanna puke. Or I think about that hard conversation I need to have with my boss. Or I think about that person who's always trolling me or whatever it is. And it's like, we all have these connotations of, of around work and to be able to actually start doing more conscious observation of the stories I'm telling myself about what work should and should not be and translating those up into healthier or even sideways into healthier, wiser expressions um, that, that let me and others feel more empowered because we do a lot of work with the drama triangle and the empowerment dynamic amongst other tools. Um, Then all of a sudden I can feel wind at my back in a new way when I say the word work to myself and I have a different kind of relationship to that and and then how does that personal translation 
that I'm doing for myself actually overlay onto a larger consideration that, that, that balloons up to the meta crisis. It's like they're, we're working inside of a organization with some of this stuff that uh, has a number of difficulties they're facing. And there's no way we could predict the way these small little ripple effects that people are doing for themselves balloon out into uh, structural changes that could be incredibly impactful. And so I, I hear you saying, Kent, um, I'm, I'm kind of just highlighting what you're saying, but I hear you saying, you know, staying in the not knowing, but there's also a learning, there's also an ear to the ground of like, uh, by being in the mystery, we're getting some really interesting evidence and new knowing that we could have never predicted by being in that not knowing and mystery. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there's anything, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, just what is most meaningful to you about, about this work and what Kevin was just saying kind of points in that direction. I'm wondering if there's any, any anecdotal stories you want to tell or. Well, what's most, there, there's, there's a number of things that are meaningful to me, or I make, I'm choosing to make this work mean certain things to me. Um, one is, um, you know, I, uh, I'm feeling some emotion come up. You know, one of our, one of our teachers recently passed Laura Devine, right? And so as the three of us are lineage holders of the ICC method, you know, that, that's very much alive. And one way I make meaning out of what I'm up to in the world is extending the reach of what Laura and Joanne started. And, and how does that continue to learn and live through me? Um, my kids, and, and I have a seven-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. And what, what am I handing to them? What are we handing to them? That's a way I make meaning out of this. Um, uh, as Kevin was just speaking to helping people have a healthier way of relating to what I need to do to take care of myself and my family and this thing I call a job so that it, so I'm not relating to it in a way that it's sucking the life out of me. And there's one of the stories that I like to tell, and you two have probably heard this and told it yourselves, is, you know, as one holds the context of work, you can take two people next to each other. Each of them are laying bricks in the hot sun. And one person isn't really making any meaning out of it other than what they're doing. And when you ask them what they're doing, they're like, I'm sweating my ass off laying bricks in the hot sun. What does it look like I'm doing? Right. And there's some, that's a way of holding it. He asked the other person what they're doing and they say, Oh, I'm building a temple to my God. Hmm. Here's two people doing identical things and the way they're each making meaning out of it. And therefore the way they're experiencing themselves and what they're up to are drastically different. Mm -hmm. And so in this work that we're doing, we're not 
suggesting by any means that that work isn't going to be hard and that life isn't going to be hard and there's not going to be challenges because that's that's what it is that's one of the first teachings is life's hard <laughs> sorry i'm getting a call here to climb this um and so what we're offering is like how do we develop ourselves to more skillfully handle life's inevitable hardships and when we can uh, be more resourceful in our own ways of relating to life's inevitable hardships, we're, we're creating less harm. <laughs> and the way, we, the way we relate to this work thing, it's just, gosh, it's so important. So one of the stories I'll tell, and I just, I wanna, one of our other coaches that you all know, Abigail, Boudreaux, she, you know, I have to acknowledge her for giving name to what we're up to in a way. And that came from one of my early work experiences with her when I was joining a new company in a new role. And she was shifting, radically shifting the focus of her career. And we're in our first one-on-one -on -one session. I'm her new boss. You know, she's freaking out in a new job with a new boss. I'm freaking out in a new job in a new city and trying to, you know, figure out how I'm going to make sense of all this stuff. And she starts crying at our first day of work, at our first meeting, and, and she gets all embarrassed and ashamed. And I say, what's wrong? And she said, well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be crying at work. I'm like, oh, well, do you mind if I ask when it is okay to cry? She says, well, when I'm at home and when no one's watching, I'm going to have to go. It seems as though I'm getting a 911 call from my kid's mom who's just tried to call four times in a row. So um, if you don't mind, uh, I, I might need to pause the conversation for a second and go see what's up. That's yeah. all right. Why don't you, uh, why don't uh, Lisa and I riff, you see yeah, that needs great. attending to, and then uh, if you can jump back in, you can. Great. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Speaking of fully human. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> right on cue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was actually an interesting, uh, an interesting segue into um, what it does mean to be fully human in these given moments. And I love that he was, he was uh, talking about that story with Abigail and how um, we have this idea of who we have to be in, you know, when we are showing up at work and it is devoid of our humanness in many, yeah. in many respects. Right, um, right. It's not okay to cry. It's not okay to have a 911 call uh, about your kids. It's not okay to, you know, have to leave because there's no childcare. It's not okay to, you know, feel like, um, like you have to take a mental health day. It's not okay for, there's so many things that happened in our lives that are really, really real. And there's no space, um, uh, for those things to actually show up in the workplace. And, um, and I think that, you know, we, we've, we've hit on this, this idea of, of work as being something that is often devoid of meaning, um, or that, you know, people are, are treated as commodities, but there's this whole other realm of, I can't be who I really am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it just feels to me like, <clears throat> and this is why I so much appreciate what, what Kent is doing, is <clears throat> not only do we have to come to a, a recognition that we actually need to make space for human beings to be human beings, mm -hmm. 
Um, but we also have to be willing to enter that space. Yeah. Well, and so. that's a whole different, that's a whole different ball game. <clears throat> hey, welcome back. Thank um, you. So Kevin and I were just talking about the fact that, uh, that, you know, there's, there's this thing called, I can't be, I can't be who I actually am at work as you were just, as you were just describing. And that, that there's, that there's two movements in that, right? There's like, there's the movement of how it's always been in workplaces and why we don't have space to be who we are, like the sort of the conditioning around that. But then there's the internal conditioning around that. It's like, I don't give myself permission to be who I actually am, even if there is some room for it, because I've been conditioned to this idea that it's not okay for me to be human. It's not okay for me. Like everything has to be so compartmentalized and that, and that, that actually takes, um, that actually takes some deconditioning. It actually takes some leaning into vulnerability. It actually takes some, uh, some intentional authenticity that is not, uh, that is not what most people are used to. Um, and that's, that's, to me, that's a lot of what, you know, what, what you are working with people on is like being in this question of, yeah, what would it look like for one to actually give oneself permission to do that? I want to, I want to just highlight that even more too. And, and then I want to hear from you on it, Kent, too, because there's, I think part of that too, is that with the increasing number of disruptions that we all face from the world, COVID being an example, uh, heat waves and uh, power outages and climate events also being another example. It's just like the, the, there's a compound, like not only is that the case, Lisa, but there's a compounding effect of that is that as we feel the increasing pressure and stresses of modern day life increasing, thinking about the beginning of COVID and how people are like, what am I supposed to do with my kids as I work and all these things. It's like um, that then, then that masquerade of I have to keep it together and not show my humanity when I'm at work gets increasingly impacted and, and breaks down more um, in such a way that there's not uh, like we feel we need to button it up when we're crying or whatever even more and then potentially that shadowy side of ourselves is more likely to come up because we're pushing it down we're not finding a way to represent it or, or even worse it's not allowed to be represented like there's a real risk I could get fired if I cry at the next meeting so in a certain yeah. way too I feel like that having the these compounding issues actually is making this come up more at in work situations, which is arguably a good thing because it's forcing people to reckon with it. Yeah. Well, the, the compartmentalizing of things just really went away during COVID when everyone's work and home, you know, come into one. There's, you know, the artificial barrier of the work life you know, separation, like leave all the things that happen to you outside of work where they belong and then be this work person. I mean, the amount of energy it takes to, to, to pretend, <laughs> um, it's not trivial. 
And so in a way it's been nice, COVID helps us move through some of that pretense. Um, and, you know, as you're speaking to what, what's permissible or not to show or share at work, you know, we explore these in our curriculum of what are our cultural givens around work, who, who we're allowed to be. Um, and the extent to which we ever question those You know, it's um, it's just such a large part of our identity and, and such a large part of our sense of self to not have it be authentic is just, oh gosh, the amount of effort it takes. And it's, and it's very much an extension, I think, of our education system. Everyone, like, you need to be right <laughs> in our education system. You need to know, you need to have the answers, you need to be the best, you need, like, that's, that's who gets all the, the attention is the person who knows it all. And so we, we think that's good. And we think that's, the, that's who we have to be at work. And to show, to show that vulnerability and then not be accepted for who we are is risk. It's really risky. Um, speaking of which, uh, it seems like despite being in a public forum, uh, a very fully human, mo uh, fully human move in this moment to check in and see if kiddos and family is okay, given that you just got a call. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. So, yeah. um, so Jackson got hit in the mouth by the swing set and apparently he's bleeding from his nose and mouth and lip and Christine saying, I need to go get there. I said, okay, well, I'm 15, 20 minutes away. You're five minutes away. If he needs attention, like, can you go get him? Could, or don't they have medical staff there if he needs attention? Like, he's at mm -hmm. school. Uh, so I'm just trying to see, like, what are the other options rather than me taking 20 minutes to get there? If he's really bleeding and he needs attention, I'm, I think there's probably closer options. So that's that's where we are with that. <laughs> right. Well, it, I'm glad I asked that because if you do need to attend to that, feel free. Yes. And thank you. And, uh, Lisa and I can ad lib and we can also have you back. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like, so if this happens, right? Like pretend we're at work right now, <laughs> right? And someone, my kid gets hurt or, you know, my partner has a kidney stone or whatever the case, like something needs my immediate attention. And I feel like I'm bad, wrong, going to get fired. There's some threat state if I go take care of myself and or my kid or my partner or whatever the case might be. Like, oh, they're not really in it. Like, I remember this one time at a company, we were running a, a leadership retreat and there was a person on the team, an important person on the team that wasn't there. And this person was getting all kinds of crap from their peers. Like, oh, you know, they're not a team player. If they really cared, they'd be here. And there was all this all this drama and rhetoric being stirred up. And I'm just listening. <laughs> and I say, does anybody know, actually know why this person's not here other than the conjecture that's going on? And they're all like, no. It's like, okay, well, they're at the hospital with their kid. And everyone's just like, err. <laughs> It's like, so maybe, you know, presume positive intent, make sure your colleagues are okay and safe and their families are okay and safe before you start 
presuming that they don't give a crap about the team because they're not at a meeting. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things that you just exemplified in, in your way of being and, and what you give attention to, and I think Lisa and I get to see this all the time in working with you in different moments is like, just, just, just the sense of how shadowy care is, you know, and, and then integral, we might associate care with the feminine and a lot of the business aspects of things are very masculine driven. And so all of a sudden, just showing like the tiniest homeopathic dose of care and overwhelmingly, you know, like things congeal and form up and trust gets built and teams all of a sudden get more effective and all these things. Um, And I think that that's one of the things that's beautiful about your way of being is that ability to constantly insert that that piece of care and challenge people to care more. And I think that that's a lot of what's needed in business. And based on that, it brings up a question for me too around, you know, a lot of what I think is needed in business and, and, and in just, just in life right now for a lot of people is, is perspective taking, is meaning making, and certainly Aquil and the integral framework has a beautiful way of being able to create meaning and so i'm wondering uh just just to play to some of the aqua integral nerds that are out there which include myself i'm like how how has integral influenced you being able to work with meaning making inside of this these work scenarios and full human at work Thanks for the easy question. Uh, first, I'll just say what, what I, one of the things I learned and have embodied and cherish most dearly through my integral coaching Canada experience is praxis, life as practice, you know, versus just thinking about it. <laughs> so, and theory. And so, for me, the application of integral in its expression as taught through ICC has been a life of practice with a developmental bias. And so that allows me, as I've worked through my own uh, triggers, particularly, you know, with unhealthy orange, you know, and, and my mean greenness going to make wrong all the people that are still, you know, in orange or even before that in some way. And it's like, oh, well, when I can hold them compassionately with some care in a developmental context, there's nothing wrong whatsoever. Yeah. And so I get to practice that care and practice that compassion, meeting people just where they are. They're, they're no more or less perfect than I am, given where anyone is in their developmental unfolding. And just like a rose bush isn't any more or less perfect when it's in or out of bloom. <laughs> it's, it's like the, the trees aren't any more or less perfect when, they're, when they have leaves on them or not. It's just, a right? So it's just like, my daughter's no worse. She's not stupid because she doesn't know uh, algebra yet. 
she's not broken. She, she doesn't have a problem. She doesn't need to be fixed. <laughs> she's just, we're all just learning. We're all just learning, growing, developing, learning how to take more perspectives, hold more paradox, be in the mystery more <laughs> without freaking out. And that takes practice. So, um, you know, practicing just being the witness. Practicing just what's arising, looking at what's arising and noticing how I'm relating to that as practice and the extent to which I have choice in that <laughs> or I get hijacked all the time. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's like, how, how am I able to take all these different perspectives of myself, of other, look at situations, look as other people, how do I understand developmentally through the different lines? You know, what might someone be most under the influence of or states or, you know, it's just the curiosity that having aqua has allowed for me to just be wildly curious about what's moving this other person the way that they are moving and to just hold them in gentle awe. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll pause there, but that's just what comes to mind. Yeah. And, and I love that. I love your holding of that too, because sometimes when we all first discover Ken and Aquil and this and that, we're like, the position is, well, now I know, now I know something, <laughs> you know, now I have mastery over something versus you know how much you don't know. <laughs> you know how much there is to practice. Like, love that. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and so to that end, you know, I, I remember Laura teaching, you know, as, as one continues to develop, one realizes that development doesn't end. So one can relax a little more. And for me, you know, one of her coaching bits to me was, I don't you got something going on. She didn't tell me what it, because she didn't know, right? She's like, there's something in your way of being that has to do with speed and pace. And I don't know what it is, but just like, be mindful of it. You know, and this is 10 years ago and I'm still mindful of it. I'm still trying to figure it out. But there's something with that, that it, for me, that's like, what, what's the hurry? You know, Kent, I, I love that you were just talking about that. And it, um, I wanted to actually ask you what some of the most meaningful practices that you've engaged in um, have been in your own development. And uh, yeah, and so, but I, I love that you were already starting to kind of go into that. And I'm curious if that question brings anything else for you that you want, you'd like to share. Well, for me, uh, practice begets embodiment. And, and so as an Enneat type seven, as you mentioned earlier, I've, I've spent a lot of time in my head thinking about all the ways things should be and then being always pissed off because it's not the way I can imagine it could be or should be. <laughs> and so practice and particularly the somatic uh, line and moving from my head into my body, into my heart, into my gut, into my feet, right? And just feeling embodied, all these embodiment practices have been so helpful and just feeling grounded here, wherever here is. And I used to hate Kevin so much. And he'd be like, yeah, just sit in that discomfort. Yeah, no, 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 just, you're, you just need to sit uncomfortably. Fuck you. This is like, <laughs> rather than amusing and distracting myself. Yeah. And so 
you know, distinguishing wants between wants and needs, um, being committed without being attached, um, uh, being open to not knowing and having some, <laughs> having some lightheartedness <laughs> and not taking myself and everything so seriously, even though it's serious, like the meta crisis isn't trivial, but gosh, like if, if we, if we continue to just, it can be so overwhelming. And, and so there has to be some way, something about our way through this has to, there has to be some lightheartedness as part of the ingredients, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, and just just to be a mirror for an aspect of, I think, practice for you that you have really exemplified and leaned into really beautifully in your own development, going back to like when we first met to where we are now is, is just taking a stand for the value of emotional intelligence and emotional expression that whatever's moving through is fully human and why not welcome it? And, and then really also sensing and sourcing how more than just like be mindful of my emotions, which is how I think a lot of people think of emotional intelligence is what's the intelligence of the emotions that's wanting to actually have something geared to like, uh, that drives me crazy. It's a little pet peeve. (laughs) Like what, what actually wants to come through because of this emotion. And then by doing such and having such a wide range of heart and emotion and versatility there, as you do, even on this, on this podcast, you know, tearing up and feeling the, oh, I got a 911 situation and everything that goes with that. As you do that, it's giving permission to others to be able to do the same. It's leading by example around being fully human. So I always can feel and notice you in that uh, disposition and practice. And I think it's exemplary. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate your kind reflection. And you know, fully human is a mantra that was gifted to me from Abigail that allows me to hold myself in grace and compassion and all my icky sticky bits and not pretend that they're not there. And as I become more able to do that and ease up my inner critic and ease up on myself, guess what? (laughs) I'm not such an asshole to other people. (laughs) (laughs) Go figure. Yeah. 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 You know, you, you, you spoke really beautifully about how Interval has informed um, the work that you do, but I, I know that it, that the Eightfold Path has also informed the work you do. And you, in fact, mentioned, um, mentioned it a, a little while ago. And I'm, I'm curious if you want to say anything else about just how that is informed and what is meant in terms of the work that you do. Hmm. Uh, well, I, I I came upon Buddhism, you know, right when I met Kevin, probably 10, 12 years ago. Um, and that the Eightfold Path for me has been a beautiful map for me to just kind of locate how I set my whole reality up. <laughs> It's a really beautiful mirror. Okay, how am I seeing this? Such that I'm thinking about it the way I'm thinking about it. Such that I'm talking about it the way I'm talking about it. Such that I'm taking the actions I'm taking or not. 
you know, works its own thing. We spend a bunch of, you know, right livelihood. This is the focus of our works like, because that's what has our attention most of the time. So how do we see things, think about things, talk about things, act? The way we do that in a coordinated effort is how we make a contribution and are compensated in our livelihood. And what's the quality of our effort that it asks of us and that we want to put forward? What's the quality of our attention as we're going through our work and our efforting? And, and what's the whole story I'm concentrating on in that whole sequence of how I see things and think about things and talk about things and what I do and how it works and what I effort and what I'm paying attention to. And at any given time, I can just stop and say, okay, how do I want to see this such that I have a more healthy way of relating to my next choice? in the way I think about what's here and the way I talk about what's here. And that's the, that's the practice of all practices for me. In any given moment, okay, to what extent do I have choice in the way I'm reacting or responding to what's right here? <laughs> and if it's not right here, I'm in some fantasy about the future of the past. <laughs> and so I get here now. And, and this is a gift that I took from uh, Joanne's beautiful writing uh, in, Laura's passing was like here now, here now, and just keep being here now and being as skillful as I can be in that moment of truth, whether it's with my kids or a client or myself or my parents or a neighbor. Here now, what's the quality of my expression? And am I doing more good than harm? And if I can create more of that in my life, I can trust that cascade. That's what I can control. Mm -hmm. And so in the, in the eightfold path, there's liberation. Life's going to be hard. Great. I see that it's hard. I can accept that it's hard. I acknowledge it's hard. Now, now what choice would I like to make in the way I'm relating to this? Mm -hmm. And that's the ongoing hard as hell work. Mm -hmm. I think you're muted, bud. We frequently will see people on huddles who are like, will we'll give a suggestion for something that feels a little bit more developmental, that feels a little bit more edgy, that feels a little bit outside their bandwidth. And they'll be like, it seems hard. Yeah. And it's like, so is being plowed over with a bulldozer all day long by systems and structures that are disempowering for you. So choose your heart. Exactly. Life's hard either way. <laughs> and either way you die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would you say if somebody wanted to lean into that a bit into, you know, this whole thing called how, how can I take, take what is in front of me and, um, and, and actually align around how I'm at choice um, and, and say they're in a, they're in a work environment that is especially toxic. Um, what would you say is just a first, a first opening move that someone, someone could make? I want to make sure I understand your setup properly. Someone, someone's aware that they're in a toxic work environment. Yeah. Somebody who's, who's in a toxic work environment and, um, and, and, and wants to be in practice around that wants to actually maybe hmm. lean in how they might have choice in this environment. Um, yeah. Just a little something that they could do. 
Yeah. So uh, as you say, environment, if we can dip into some integral geek speak for a second, that might be fun. It, when you say environment, I think of lower right. Okay, I've, I'm in an environment that's not serving me. Great. It's my upper left interpretation of that environment that has me telling myself a story that it's not serving me. It may, it may be true, but it's like, okay, so great. What actions from an upper right perspective would I like to take? What conversations do I need to have? What steps do I need to take? With whom from a lower left perspective? What do I value? What do we value here? And is there a way I can be in action to affect and influence my environment skillfully by, through what matters to me, through the actions and conversations I have and the shared sense of meaning that we're all making out of the environment we're in? So, you know, I would just, I would invite people just to, you know, I would take them through the quadrants. I would ask them questions like, okay, so how is it that you're making meaning and, and coming to the table saying with an assertion that this is a toxic environment? What's your criteria? How are you checking for toxicity? <laughs> what, what within that can you influence or change? What within that's in your control? What's not? What have you tried? What are you afraid to try? Who's with you? You know, all these, I would just ask a lot of questions and, and help that person find their own, as Kevin was saying earlier, I don't have the answers. I don't know if it's a toxic environment or not. I'm not going to automatically subscribe to your story. I'm going to be curious. Oh, why do you say it's a toxic? How do you know it's a toxic environment? Do other people think it's a toxic environment? Are you complicit in making it toxic at all? Like, so be gently curious and help that person orient more skillfully to their situation such that they feel more resourced and have more choice and aren't so at the effect of. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Um, so I'm noticing we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to, um, I'd love to hear more about uh, what you've got going on in terms of fully human at work, how people might be able to find you. Um, and if they're interested in this work, uh, what that might look like. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, Fullyhumanatwork.com is the website. We have um, our 10th cohort coming up starts September 30th uh, and runs through December 9th. And it's every other Friday on Zoom. It's two hour Zoom meeting every other Friday, um, 7.30 to 9.30 Pacific, 10.30 to 12.30 Eastern. Um, we cap it at 18 people. Uh, we we wanna have a really intimate cohort uh, as we've learned through our previous nine of various sizes. You know, 15 to 18 people is a beautiful size. We have a handful of people that are registered, so we still have some spots open. If anyone's interested in uh, registering, you can visit fullyhumanatwork.com and programs. And there's a link to register for that there. Um, people can always email me if they want to get in touch. Uh, Kent at fullyhuman.us is the easiest email address, probably. Um, yeah, LinkedIn. <laughs> That's always a good place to find me. <laughs> yeah. You're muted, I think. And also yeah. just, just to be a plug for you too, you know, if anybody is uh, inside of an organization uh, or 
or um, knows, <laughs> has a husband, wife, <laughs> significant other <laughs> inside of an organization who's suffering and wants some support, that's that's a big part of the work uh, Kent is called to. Um, so there's there's the there's the personal side of how you can adjust how you're showing up in for human work, and there's also a side of um, working inside of organizations more systemically. Yeah, thank you, and thank you, Lisa and Kevin, for being part of that work that we do. You know, we have the privilege of working with a large organization and bringing some more fully human characteristics um, into their organization. So. Uh, I would welcome that opportunity, um, either individually or collectively. So thank you, Kevin, for that. And thank you, Lisa, for this conversation too. And you all are just amazing practitioners and I'm honored to call you friends and colleagues. So thank you so much for who you each are in the world and who you are for me. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I have, um, I have very much enjoyed working with you and um, being part of your vision actually around fully human at work. It's um, the way that you've held it is really uh, in, in deep soulful compassion. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I just, I, I, I feel very honored to be, to be part of that. So mm. yeah. Yeah. And trying to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and just as a, you know, by way <clears throat> of uh, uh, kind of being transparent here. We've talked a bit about how uh, Kevin and I uh, are also involved in, in what Kent is doing. Um, we both have been through Kent's program. And so we know firsthand that, um, that there's some real beauty and power in that, in that program, um, which is one of the reasons that we were both interested in having you come on today, Kent, because we both have been impacted personally mm. by, by your work and how you hold that work. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I want to give out a shout to my co-pilot, co-creator, Reggie Mera, um, without whom this wouldn't have happened, uh, who's also an integral coach and a member of the integral community. And Reggie's got a really powerful book coming out in October, Healing America's Narratives. We're, we're looking at the masculine, the feminine, and the shadow elements of the United States through some powerful lenses. Um, so, uh, if anyone's interested in, in that, I would encourage you to check out reggimara.com or healingamericasnarratives.com. That, that's also an expression and extension of who we need to become as human beings at this point in time in history, as we imagine a future that we can hand off to our kiddos. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, beautiful, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anything else, Kevin? Uh, no, uh, I completely concur with Lisa. It's, it's a privilege to be able to work with you. It's so great being able to chat and get this information out to people because I think it stays sometimes kind of siloed inside the walls of the work we're doing. And so to have it kind of breach out is, is fun. It's, it's refreshing. It feels like a nice breath of fresh air. And, and I hope other people are feeling it that way too. And I also think, you know, bringing it into integral life has an interesting perspective as well in the sense of, um, what does second tier work look like mm -hmm. is a question that I have. And when you were first formulating all this and we were talking about it, that was, there was a big uh, rush that I had of like, dude, this is amazing. You're sitting on a, on a freaking gold mine. Everybody thinks work sucks and, <laughs> and hates it. 
And if, if we can have people working with them, like so much of our life goes to work and even more so in the day that we live in, what a great opportunity for practice. What a great opportunity for growth. And to really get excited about that instead of, oh, the drudgery of work and, and reinventing work, like, you know, at Amber, it's like, there's such a work ethic. And where did that go? Like, why don't we have that anymore up, up here in secondary? Like, we, we need to if we're going to take care of the spiral. We need to allow the allure of success and of orange. We need to allure the, the, the doing the deep work and the inner work and the sustainability work and the taking care of the, the planet and its people work at Green. And how does that all mesh? And I just think it's such a freaking awesome pregnant question. And I'm so glad to see you engaged in it, not just at the theoretical level, but at the like in the trenches out, out there doing the work. And so just kudos to you, kudos to more of that uh, uh, and a big um, kind of encouragement slash nudge slash challenge to the others listening to this to really take a look at what is the practice of work for me and what is the work of practice mm-hmm. and being in that inquiry. So I'll have that be my checkout. Yeah. Do you have checkout. a, do you have a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Any, anything else Kent, that you want to say? I just love you both. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I got. Oh yeah. Thank you. Love back to you. Mm-hmm. all right well i think we've done it for today um thank you everyone who is uh here live thank you if you've been watching us and thank you if you're catching the replay um my name again is lisa frost uh if you want to get in touch with me you can at lisa at your and kevin how can people get in touch with you uh my website kevin snorf s-n-o-r-f f is in frank at the end.com and uh, yeah, thanks for everybody who showed up. We'll be continuing our discussion of practice in future episodes. Um, and feel free to shoot us a line as to what you'd like to see as well around conversations about practice. We have lots of ideas, but um, we want to be doing this for the audience as well. So love to crowdsource that. Please be involved. Yeah, good. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.